Good morning. Coffee? Yes, Sammy, good. Sally Dips, Dips, Sally. 4610-0192. How did you know my phone number? How'd you know that? said read the telephone book last night. Dips, Sally. 4610-0192. He, uh, remembers things, little things sometimes. Because I don't have my toothpicks. No, you don't need toothpicks. I was okay in the hotel last night with the pizza, but in a restaurant, you need a fork. Of course, I don't have my toothpicks. You don't need toothpicks, really. Pancakes keep sliding off. You can eat with a fork. Uh, miss, miss, he needs toothpicks. Could you help him get him some toothpicks? Thank you very much. Toothpicks. He needs some toothpicks. Can we just get him some toothpicks over here? Let me check. Sorry about the toothpicks. A2, A2, A2. A2 what? Oh, how much is this? Toothpicks. A lot more than two toothpicks, right? Two hundred forty-six total to change. Right. How many toothpicks are you? Two fifty. Pretty close. Come on, let's go, Ray. Two hundred forty-six. There's four left in the box. Ninety-seven X. The future of rock and roll. Ninety-seven X. Tonight's show is Colored by Autism, The Realities of Parenting Autistic Children. Basically, what I want to be able to address are not only the difficult things that people automatically start thinking about when they hear that you have an autistic child, but also talking about the quirks and the rewards and the way that our world as parents of autistic children are colored in several different shades that a lot of parents of typical children just don't have the opportunity to experience. I don't want to get into the possible causes of autism because that is a debate for another time. What I mainly want to focus on is dispelling the myths and bringing a little bit of enlightenment to people who are not as familiar with spectrum disorders as those of us who live with autism. For those who are here who are not parents of autistic children and are not as familiar, I do want to give a brief synopsis of what autism is. Autism is a spectrum disorder that affects one out of every 100 children born. Out of all children diagnosed with autism, three out of four will be boys. Autism is referred to as a spectrum disorder because the symptoms are so varied and each person diagnosed falls on a different place on the spectrum in regards to the severity of their autism. 
actually the only way that every single autistic person is similar to others on the spectrum is their lack of social skills and peer interactions. But everything else is kind of up in the air and it falls wherever it may. So I'd like to start by having everyone tell a little bit about how they are affected by autism. Elsa, would you like to start with that? Sure. Um, My daughter is one of very few girls who has autism. Uh, She has Asperger's syndrome. We began to see the way that she was reacting to things differently from her older sister, um, probably when she was about three months old, and began seeking real help uh, when she entered into public school at the age of five. My son's Nathan. He's 11 years old. Brian is not actually the biological father of Nathan. He came in when Nathan was about 18 months old. And Nathan already had pretty obvious symptoms. But the first time I noticed it when, when was he was about six months old, his physical development was fine. In fact, he was already sitting up and manipulating objects putting the shapes in the holes and everything. And I'm a very affectionate mother. I pick up my babies. They're usually on my hip for about a whole year about. And he would push away from me. He would be very focused on grouping his toys. I would take him away from it for a second and remove, you know, one of the toys and he would avidly look for it and get upset that it wasn't there. So that's when we started noticing it. Brian and I noticed it together more when his behavioral reactions to things started to drastically shift. He started to scream and not like it when we were out in public places and he didn't start talking until he was four and we got him diagnosed when he was five. It took about, I don't know, two years to do that though. Nathan is on the Asperger's spectrum. He's autistic he has Asperger's, and he's high-functioning, however. He, he spoke when he was four. He is in public school in a special education class for half of the day, and the rest of the day he's with his peers. My daughter, Anwen, was developing quite typically for the first year of her life, I guess. She did develop a lot of severe allergies, the first um, anaphylactic reaction happening at 10 months. It was around 14 months that I noticed that the things were not quite right. She was no longer responding to her name, and she had always been very, very social. If I tried to hug her, she'd arch her back and scream. She'd pull her hair out by the clumps. She'd bang her head against the wall. She uh, just basically regressed and regressed and regressed, and I I thought that I was just a bad parent, (laughs) and I thought I was just screwing up my kid. So... We went to um, see a child psychiatrist and came through that that he thought she might be on the spectrum. I guess after a long period of time, we got a diagnosis of autism. So she's autistic, but is doing quite well. So that's my story. (laughs) I am one of those parents who has multiple children within the home who are autistic. Neither of my boys are on the same side of the spectrum. Alexander is my oldest. He is 14. He'll be 15 this summer. And I knew pretty much right away that he was four months old, I guess, when he suddenly regressed. He had already been what would be considered a needy child. He 
didn't display the signs of a lot of autistic children as far as not wanting to be touched. He was the opposite. He wanted to be in my arms at all times. And I had an incredibly difficult time setting him aside for anything. Alex, as he developed, I found out that he was having petite mal seizures. He was delayed in every single milestone from the time he was nine months old. I worked with the University of South Florida. They have an amazing uh, therapeutic wing. He had an occupational therapist, physical therapist, speech therapist, a neurologist. He wore baffos on his legs. Uh, he did not walk until he was 16 months old, at which point he did not have to wear the braces any longer. Alex banged his head when he was frustrated. He had meltdowns it seemed like every five minutes. His first diagnosis, however, was developmentally delayed. So that's what we ran with. And he has been in the public school system since he was two uh, in the special education program, but it was as developmentally delayed as he grew older. His diagnosis was changed to educably mentally handicapped. He also received a diagnosis of acute stress syndrome because of his night terrors and uh, banging his head. He bites himself. He used to have very frequent meltdowns. So instead of looking at all of his symptoms as a whole, they treated them individually, and he had multiple diagnoses, which were not accurate. It was not until this past summer, we're coming up on a year, that he received his diagnosis of PDD-NOS. For about a year before that, I was really pushing for the specialists and the doctors uh, to take me seriously. And people sometimes in the medical profession don't always want to listen to the parents. That's not always the case, and I have found good doctors now, but it was a struggle. And I do want to mention here that when the firstborn child is autistic, that automatically doubles the chances for other children being born within the home to be autistic as well. And I recently discovered that. My second son, this only affects my boys, his, his name is Jonathan. He's eight years old and he was just diagnosed with Asperger's. I noticed a lot easier how his symptoms were interwoven. He was the perfect baby. He never cried, ever. Everybody was so jealous. My child, who was growing up in a household where I have never believed in forcing schedules on, on babies, put himself on a schedule. From the time he could crawl, he would put himself to bed. He would crawl right up to the bed, sit there and wait for you. But he is in regular education, and he has a therapy service specialist who works with him at school to help him get through the transitions that are difficult for him, and he really is flourishing. I'm wondering how difficult it was for each of you to receive the diagnoses that you've had with your children. It took us a really, really long time, a really long time. I contacted the psychiatrist just before Anne when turned three. It was a good year and a half before we got our diagnosis. For me, I don't think that bothered me so much. What bothered me is that my kid didn't get help right away because when you find out that your kid's on the spectrum, therapy should start within days. And we, <laughs> it, was, it was a year before we started getting any help. And it was, uh, it was a really frustrating, heartbreaking process I found because I, I, I wanted to help my kid. But I didn't know where to turn, and I didn't know what 
would help. I had no guidance at all, and so I, for for for, I, I had to take everything to my own hands for quite a while. A lot of parents do actually say that parents of children with special needs always have to be those children's biggest advocate, especially when you find out with autism. There seems to be a lot of misconceptions within the medical community itself because you find a lot of different information depending on which specialist you go to, which pediatrician, which therapist. And so it really is like receiving your doctorate in autism when you have suddenly been handed a diagnosis of autism and you want to be able to do what's best for your child. Jessica, didn't you say it took you about two years to receive a diagnosis for Nathan? Yeah, about two years. And then even after that, see every year IEPs and calculating where he needs to be, how far he's gotten, what are his behavioral needs, things like that. I do have to say, though, that in my case, I was very, very lucky. My mom was, she has her master's in early childhood development and had a bunch of connections throughout the school system and and also his daycare. So his evaluations started actually in daycare and it made it so much easier for us after he entered into school to keep that going. And Leanne, the other thing I wanted to say was while he was a baby, Nathan had experienced a lot of illness as well. He had a rotavirus that lasted months. He would get constipated to the point where he would just scream in agony. And that was when he was like a year and under. Yeah, and that itself is common as well because of the fact that a lot of children diagnosed with autism have a tendency to also display weaker muscles. And that's one reason why they have a tendency to be diagnosed with other things. Like Alex was in physical therapy and occupational therapy. He had absolutely just horrible skill with his fine motor skills. And um, it turns out now looking in retrospect that that was just another one of the symptoms of him being autistic. One other thing that I wanted to talk about, I wanted to know what people think of when they first hear the word autism. And it usually runs towards Rain Man, and that isn't the case. You know, receiving a a diagnosis of autism is not a death sentence. It it is a life sentence. They're going to be working with it forever, but there is still so much potential contained within these children, varying degrees, just like uh, anyone who has a neurotypical child is going to find that some have better better chances at certain things than, than other children because those are their special skills. What I'm really wanting to talk about are um, what are the most difficult aspects of raising an autistic child, in your opinion? Like, what would be that one thing that you struggle with the most? I think we talked about this the other night a little bit. The one thing that gets to me is misunderstanding of other people, whether it be we're out of the store, uh, we're in the doctor's office, we're at the movie theater pretty much where she might cause a scene. I try to make very light of it so that other people around me will make light of it so they'll understand it's okay, you know, she'll be fine. But we do run into snags every once in a while where someone is just says something under their breath. And Dave and I have been fortunately blessed with very good hearing and so we hear something. There have been times where I've walked out of a store and 
have gone into the car and sat very quietly, got home and went into my own bedroom after, you know, everybody has been nicely taking care of, you know, Adara, her sandwich, Montevideo, whatever she needs, and just came and sat on my bed and just cried because of the way somebody looks at us, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, you're such horrible parents. How come you can't control your child? I react that way, and fortunately, Dave has a different way of reacting, so it helps me deal with it a little bit better. He has a tendency to put a little humor into it, or when she's making a scene, he'll say he'll say something about how about her autism or her Asperger's syndrome, and yeah, things like stop being autistic, you know, and people will kind of cock their head to the side, like, oh. Okay, really? That's what autism is? You get that kind of look. Like Leanne was saying earlier, I think more people look at autism as like that Rain Man thing. And I think people need to be educated more on that. Not all children with autism are one way. That there really is a spectrum of children and adults with autism. Well, I have to say I, I agree with Elsa. <laughs> We've certainly um, experienced a lot of that in the past. I've certainly had a lot of judgment on how I'm seen as a parent in all sorts of situations. <laughs> Although things have been improving a great deal with that, but it used to be that I couldn't go anywhere without my kid. I'm having a huge meltdown for whatever reason, you know, be it transitions, be it overstimulation, frustration with communication and all that. That seems to be improving a lot lately, thank God. But I think if there's one thing that bothers me, I cannot think any more than about six or eight months ahead. Because I find for me the scariest part about being a parent of an autistic child is thinking about the future. For you know any of the therapists who might be around or any friends or family members who might be around and might say my kid has a rough day or is having a meltdown or whatever, they just see the moment or the day or whatever. But what I see is the future. And I worry about what's going to happen to my kid. I worry about what's going to happen when I'm gone. Okay, not choked up. <laughs> just think about it. But it, that's that's the thing that bothers me the most. What happens when I'm too old to take care of her? What if somebody takes advantage of her? What if somebody hurts her? What if she's not going to be okay? What if financially she's not going to be okay? Is she going to be employable? I mean, it's all those things. That's what that's what worries me. I I, I want her. I want her to be okay, and I, I just, I don't know if it's going to be. I think that's that's the thing that gets me the most. I think that the thing that's bugged me the most, and it's been the constant thing, that you're cruising right along, and like I remember the day that Nathan started reading, and then he grabbed it, like, real fast and caught on really fast, and I was so ex- happy and excited. But then when you're happy and excited or you're just looking at him and you want to give him a hug, Nathan is the kind of little guy who sometimes can really look almost pained by physical or emotional attention. So when I want to go over and really have a have a, you know, connection with him and I see him just kind of pull away and that little pained look in his face, it's hard. I have really deep conversations and relationships with my with my oldest daughter who's 13 and my youngest son who's going to be 9. I just, I sometimes, it seems like I can't get in there, and it, that hurts. 
Yeah, that's definitely something that I've had to deal with. I haven't gone through that with Jonathan. He's still very loving and warm. Alex tries. Alex gives head hugs. He'll ask for a hug, and you can't really touch more than his head. And then he said something that he never said before in all this time. I don't like it when people touch me. It feels weird. And that's the most that he'd actually vocalized exactly why it bothers him so much that he was being touched. It really feels weird to him. But I had an incident on Monday where I took both of my boys at the same time to my oldest son's psychiatry appointment, thinking, well, you know, if they start to act as if they're overstimulated, if they're acting out, well, it's a psychiatrist office. So who the heck there is going to judge, right? So we go through the appointment and then we come out and Jonathan was immediately distracted by the big bin of blocks. So I, I couldn't, he, he wasn't hearing me. And I'm like, all right, well, we have to go. I have to go get your next appointments going and we need to go. And he wasn't hearing me. He was too fixated. He was very focused on these blocks. So I got down face to face with him and I pulled his chin up until he was looking at me. And at this point, we had the attention of every single person sitting in that waiting room. And my boys noticed that, and they don't know how to take scrutiny or anybody showing them attention whatsoever. And it just started escalating to where Jonathan was spinning in circles with his jacket half on, half off, and humming some type of song. And Alex was laughing, and everybody was looking. And a little girl, 10 or 11, she stood up, left her parents' side or her mother's side. And she walks up to about 10 feet away from us and is just just standing there staring. And the whole waiting room is staring at my children. And something inside me, I, I just became extremely furious. And so I'm making eye contact with these people and nobody is having the decency to look away. Like they have a right to stare at us. And finally, you know, I keep looking back from this little girl to her mother, and I'm not going to say anything to this little girl. So I look at the mother, and I said, my boys are autistic. What's your daughter's excuse for being this rude? And her eyes just plopped open, and she called her daughter back over. And then I made a point of looking back at every single person, and that time when I looked at them, everybody looked back down. They, they looked away. And at that point, I had the boys' appointments, and we walked out. I don't normally like to react that way, but just because my children look neurotypical doesn't mean that they necessarily are. And people keep putting these accusations out there, and I've had people walk up to me and say how they would discipline my child. I mean, people have a lot of gall, a lot of nerve, and I think that probably is what bothers me the most. So I'm wondering if you've noticed a difference in the expectations that you have for your neurotypical children versus the expectations you have for your spectrum children. I've noticed that my 11-year-old daughter, well, she has automatically stepped into the older child's role. She is very mature, and she she handles things, and she just automatically behaves the way that you would expect the oldest child to behave. So when she actually acts like a child, I don't have as much patience, and I have to remind myself that just because she's not a special needs child, she's still a child. It doesn't take away from that, but I find myself having to remind myself of that on occasion because so much of my focus goes into my boys. So I'm kind of wondering what the rest of you have found with that. My situation is a little bit different only because I have the 13 and the 11-year-old. The 11-year-old is the autistic child. And part of the year, they live with their father, 
and part of the year they live with us. So that does add a different dimension. Also, Nathan and Neo have always been very, very close. And the only time we we really had to kind of renegotiate child standing or maturity is when that happened. It took a little while for us to be able to kind of balance Neo's frustration and and Nathan's pretty much, you know, didn't care attitude. But Harley's always been the big, big girl and she's been pretty much treated that way. Neo has followed right in tow. I mean, I have a pretty darn good situation when I when I think about it. I've had to reevaluate the way that I treat Madavia at times, like you. I always have to, I have to understand that she's twelve, you know, she's she's a kid. I need to let her experience being a kid. She's also become a outspoken defender of her sister. She doesn't let anybody take advantage of her. She's very protective of her. If somebody says something under their breath, Madavia is very quick to turn around and say, well, you know, my sister has autism. So I don't know what your problem is, but I think you need to think about that. They're just small things. It's almost like she's become her own, like a, her sister's own mini advocate. And she's a strong child. And I think a lot of times Adara sees that in her older sister and has begun to take on a few of those qualities herself, which is really neat. I'm actually very, very proud of her. And because we have to spend so much time taking care of Adara and, and you know, sometimes leaving a store or in the middle of shopping for Montevilla, we try to give her time to get away on her own. We send her on trips to go visit relatives in Florida for a couple of weeks. She does summer camps, winter camps. We're just kind of gives her a time to be her own individual because we know that she spends so much amount of time in her day being with her sister, playing with her. And we've felt that it's very important for her to find her individuality and know that she is her own self even when she's apart from her sister. And and it also gives Adara a kind of break. When they're take when they're separate, it's not as extreme when they're t- as when they are together. I was recreated with moving parts a pair of wings and working hard not at all natural not at all natural can you remember how Never saw this coming. Never knew I needed something 
to lose, but lose something I From broken shards, a pair of eyes to see the stars. Not at all natural, not at all natural. When I look back, I'm glad. Good star.